Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik, Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. It shall be done, folks. 12 more sleeps. Florida Boxing Commission's on board. It's Monday, April 27th. Good to have you with us. Episode 247 of this here Anik and Florian Podcast, starring the great... Kenny Florian. What, you got a new television light in your studio today? You're looking good. <laughs> it's that special light now. I was like yeah. dark on one side and yeah, yeah now uh, now you can see my face uh, for better or worse. So my son uh, smashed his head on the pavement like day oh. three of quarantine and he waited till day 42 to smash his head on the tile floor this morning. Oh, I know the forehead and the front of the head is like the hardest part of the head, right? Right. But, like, this can't be good for these kids to be doing this, you know, just smashing their head on tile, probably falling at, like, 25 miles per hour. Oh, man. Well, well, at least they're not so tall that they don't have a whole right. lot of momentum That's coming right. forward. Right. But uh, is it bruised? Did you got cuts here and no blood or what? It didn't break the skin. Last time oh, okay, it broke okay. the skin. This time uh, it just looks worse. I mean, oh, I man. feel like 400. maybe he got concussed today, you know, oh, honestly. Geez. But, uh, you know. You know, my wife and I are pretty much aligned with most of the parenting stuff. Um, but I think the one thing we disagree on, and this is the first boy that we've raised, is how much of a leash he should be given. Right. And I'm willing to give him all the leash in the world because I need him to learn a lesson or two. You know, so if that sure. means running on the pavement and going head first against doctor's orders. Guy's got to learn somewhere. And maybe today will be a learning lesson. But this kid is, uh, I mean, we have to assign one parent to him. Every At minute of the day, or you know, it's just uh, I don't know, I don't know. What <laughs> a little maniac, all right. Yeah. So uh, a lot coming up on the show today. We are going to talk to Michael Chandler, one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world, and a guy who we've been meaning to catch up with for a long time. Also, Ken Flo's right hand man, Ryan Hall, UFC featherweight contender, number fourteen in the world right now, and uh, hoping to close out twenty twenty with a big win, at least certainly a big matchup. So we'll catch up with Ryan Hall. Also, long going, of course, Ian Parker as we continue our right now pound for pound tournament. In the nature of not burying the lead, since we were last on the air, it was announced by the UFC uh, that they will return with UFC 249 on May 9th. They will also be live in Jacksonville, Florida on Wednesday, May 13th. I'm starting to smile. And also on Saturday, May 16th. So in a span of eight days, Kenny, the UFC is going to be back in a big way with three shows. And uh, we'll see from a safety protocol what things are done to make sure that all the athletes and all of the staff is safe but uh i know fans are excited that you're not just getting a mega card on may 9th but the ufc is going to be back seemingly every week for the rest of the year 
you have a lot of work cut out for you. I do. I got a lot of fighting cards to do. Yeah, right after this, he's going to go back and study. Uh, That's crazy. Listen, man, that that card, first of all, starting with UFC 249, is just ridiculous. Uh, Not only the main card, but even those prelims. I want to see every single one of those. So uh, great job by the UFC putting this together. And I feel like timing-wise, people, again, with everyone talking about businesses opening up uh, and everything else on that order, I think it's the right time, to be honest. You know, I don't think there's going to be anyone there in the arena and – uh, the fact that the the UFC is putting on a card of this quality is tremendous. I think the only thing I would say is, so long as the the, the fighters are safe and all that stuff, I, I think um, this is going to be a real treat for the fans. Yeah, and I would agree with you on the timeline, and I know we'll probably be criticized for that take. And again, you can ingest my take uh, however you want, right? Because I'm not a medical professional. I've tried to keep myself as educated as possible. I can certainly sit here and tell you on April 27th, I'm thankful that I'm traveling on May 5th or 6th and not April 17th, as was initially scheduled. So we'll see if the extra three weeks uh, help the UFC. But uh, certainly for me, it's a drive in the state of Florida about five hours. So uh, certainly lucked out as far as that part of the equation is concerned. Just want to get a couple thoughts on the title fights before we bring on Michael Chandler. Right now from Las Vegas, Kenny Tony Ferguson, the minus 170 betting favorite against Justin Gaethje, who is plus 145. And then this number has moved around a little bit, but Henry Cejudo minus 235 and Dominic Cruz plus 200 in that UFC Bantamweight Championship co-main event. So uh, any thoughts on Ferguson, Gaethje, Cejudo, Cruz from a betting perspective, knowing full well that we're getting at least 10 picks from you next Monday. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I love both of these fights. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting. Uh, first of all, you know, you, a guy like Gaethje and Ferguson, they're, they're such wild cards in that those are the two guys in that division that bring the most amount of chaos. Um, so that's just a hard one to gamble on regardless. Um, you know, I think it does make sense that Ferguson is the favorite heading into that, given his consistency in that division uh, and just how unorthodox he is. So uh, I, I think they have it pretty right in there, but uh, Gaethje is going to be a spoiler, can be a spoiler against anyone. Um, listen, I, I think right now, as good as Henry Cejudo is, and as impressive as he is has been being a double champion, I think people are underestimating Dominic Cruz and all of his experience, and just his unorthodox approach to both training and execution inside the octagon. This is a guy that um, is so unique. There's nobody like him out there. Uh, it's what makes Dominic Cruz Dominic Cruz, and it's what makes him such a difficult out. It's what made him a champion for all those years in the WEC and UFC. And um, you know, I, I think Henry Cejudo um, is going to be surprised and potentially frustrated over the course of that fight, trying to just get close to someone like Dominic Cruz. And we don't know, you know, how healed up. Uh, Henry Cejudo really is. How is that shoulder injury going to affect both his striking and his grappling? We don't know. There's a lot of question marks. And for Dominic Cruz, we haven't seen him in the octagon for what seems like forever. So there's a question mark there as well. But Dominic Cruz uh, and his intelligence and his approach to the game, you know he's going to be as ready as anybody out there. Uh, And I can't wait for that fight, man. Just great matchmaking all the way around. I'm glad you brought up Cejudo's shoulder surgery because it was an invasive procedure and you know he attacked the rehab with every ounce of himself, but uh, it certainly is a variable and a condition coming into this fight for him. I would also submit to the people that want to denigrate Dominic Cruz getting this title fight. 
he was very competitive his last time out against Cody Garbrandt. I know it was 2016, but if you go back and watch the yeah. fight, you know, Cody had a hard time walking after the fact. So there was plenty of good in there for Dominic Cruz. If you listen to our show, you know that I believe that Aljamain Sterling is the most worthy number one contender type right now. Piotr Jan is certainly in the conversation, as are the Brazilians, Aldo and Marais. Corey Sanhagen even though he doesn't have the high ranking, uh, is a guy who's going to be a real problem and at least should be mentioned in the conversation. But most people, Kenny, believe that Dominic Cruz is the consensus greatest bantamweight of all time. These are some unforeseen circumstances. We hope once-in-a-lifetime type circumstances that we're dealing with. Um, but I guess I'm surprised uh, how much venom there seems to be from certain segments of the fan base given this whole coronavirus situation. You know, It's like he needed all of these circumstances to align, and you know what they did? And that's what it comes down to, right? First of all, you know, for the UFC, um, I think they're looking for some name recognition uh, and, and, and you know, some high credentials, which Dominic Cruz also has. Um, you know, a, a guy like Dominic Cruz and what he's done in that division, he's always going to be at the top of the list as far as what the UFC uh, wants and, and, and a guy who's going to fight for the belt. And I think Henry Cejudo wants that as well. He wants to fight the best in the world. I think it's a fight that makes a hell of a lot of sense right now. Timing is everything in this sport. And, uh, you know, the stars just align for Dominic Cruz. And, you know, for people that are complaining about this and that, um, you know, I, I really don't think they know what they're talking about. I, I think this is a great fight. Um, and under these circumstances, anything could happen. This is, this is an awesome fight. And we don't know what the internal discussions were. And you bring up a lot of great points, right? But I just want to make sure I sort of close it out with this. Piotr Jan seemingly couldn't get here. Maybe right. Aljamain Sterling was a guy who was considered, but Henry Cejudo didn't want to fight him and preferred Dominic Cruz because of his pedigree and the name recognition and everything else and how that scalp might look on his resume several exactly. years down the line. So a lot of layers to it, obviously. But uh, looks like Michael Chandler is ready, and he's one of Dominic Cruz's teammates. So let's get to Mike Chandler. All right, now with us, and man, are we happy to have him. This is long overdue. He's one of the best mixed martial arts athletes in the world. He has been for some time. Three-time Bellator lightweight champion. Three-time lightweight champion, I said. Friend of the show, Michael Chandler, is with us live from Nashville. What's up, buddy? I'm just living the dream, man, living that quarantine life. Well, obviously, you're not in Florida unless your road setup was just spectacular because people watching us on YouTube are seeing your beautiful home office there uh, adorned with the belts in Nashville, Tennessee. So, uh Obviously, I think for anybody who has been tracking your every move, they know that you were to be fighting uh, in early June. That has since been postponed at the very least. So uh, what's your timeline for leaving Tennessee and, and how's everything going overall? Man, I wish I knew. You know, we uh, I think I think the, the beautiful thing about this quarantine is we are realizing that we are not in control. You know, even as even as fighters, even under under these fight banners, under these contracts, um, we still don't know exactly when these fights are going to be because of a once once in a hopefully 100-year pandemic happening. Um, but for me, you know, I thought for sure we were still going to be on that June 6th matchup between me and Benson in Chicago. Well, probably – I actually, right away, I figured it probably wasn't going to be in Chicago because Chicago I knew was going to be on lockdown. But right. at some undisclosed location, I figured it would be June 6th. But now that has since been postponed and uh, – Still waiting here. I, I'm training, like you said, training in my garage like crazy, working one-on-one -on -one with coaches here in Nashville. Uh, but as of right now, I do not know. But I will say it, it'll probably be in, hopefully, I'm hoping for June and not July. So, Well, anyone who's following you on social media, at Mike Chandler MMA, they know how hard you're working, really, 365 days a year. In terms of peaking for a date and all that stuff, I mean, is that part of your mentality or are you just trying to stay in the best shape as possible given you know the circumstances and the backdrop 
that's pretty much what it is. Try to stay, you know, happy, healthy, and hard to kill. Those are those are my three things I'm trying to do right now, right? And and you know, this this has made me helped me step back a little bit and realize I'm not in control of this. Um, but what I am in, in control of is my myself, my own vessel, mentally, physically, spiritually, um, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my son, the time, the intentionality that I can have during this time whenever basically everything has been taken away from me from a training standpoint. Um, training partners can't be with them. Coaches can't really be with them. So uh, yeah, just uh, just enjoying it and taking it taking it one day at a time. So many things we want to get to with you, but since you brought up your son, I might, might as well lead there. So you adopted a son, Hap Whitaker, October of 2017. Mm -hmm. It's a remarkable story. Six minutes after you were notified that you were active in the adoption pool, you're, you're blindsided, as you put it, in the best way possible, uh, that there was a match for you guys. And now mm -hmm. he's obviously been your son for coming up on three years. So how is fatherhood and all of that noise, especially given the quarantine? It's uh, it's absolutely amazing, and uh, you know the funny thing about it is the wrestlers will, all the wrestlers on here will will uh, enjoy this. It was a six minute match, just like high school. Right, right. Literally six minutes. One forty at one forty, we got the email saying we are eligible at one forty six. Hey, uh, would you like to be on the phone? Yes. And then two days later, we were down in Dallas, Texas, and my wife and I spent three and a half weeks in a hotel room, um, getting to enjoy the the greatest blessing of our entire lives. But it's been uh, it's been awesome awesome for me you know and that in that time was about the craziest time in my life moving across the country building a house adopting a child opening up a gym uh, my wife and I were still newlyweds and um, all the all the while in those two in that two-year period fighting three four times and um, it was a it was a lot and it was an emotional roller coaster so you're learning how to be a dad you're learning still how to be now be a husband with a child in the mix you're learning how to be a fighter with uh, not just a wife, but now a wife and a son. So you, uh, you know, I got thrown into the fire pretty quickly, but um, just like everything, through uh, you know, through an unwavering belief that that things will always continue to work out, um, it has been the biggest blessing in my life. And now, you know, he's he, uh, he I can't, I'm not going to say he wasn't fun back when we adopted him, but now he's a lot more fun. You right. know, a three year old stage man, my goodness, he's he's talking, he's running all over the place, he's. He's, uh, you know, being a little bit defiant and talking back a little bit. So we're going through all of that and we're working on all that as we're all stuck in the house together. And uh, but he's also learning every single day. And, and it's really, really cool because I've always said even before I had children, I couldn't wait to 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 paint a masterpiece with every single decision that I'm making, every single performance that I put on, every single every single day and uh, and choice and decision that I make that someday my son will be able to see the masterpiece that I'm building for him. And I just hope that uh you know, I just want to be the, I want to be a superhero and, and that's kind of, and it's working out really well for me right now. And I'm just enjoying it. It's the greatest blessing of my life. Does he understand what you do? Does he understand when you go out and travel and need to go somewhere? Um, so the, the traveling stuff, you know, as you guys know, each fight it's, you know, three, four, five, six months in between sometimes. So, um, this last camp, he did start to understand that daddy was, you know, traveling for work and daddy couldn't be there. Cause luckily for me, I do live in Nashville, which is an hour and 40 minute flight from Florida. So I basically just commute or not commute, but fly back, yeah. fly back almost every single weekend. And I'm back home Friday night, Saturday, and then go back Sunday. So I'm home three days out of the seven day week. Um, he understands, he's starting to understand more and more. And I'm making sure I'm being very intentional with him about under, making him and helping him understand that that I love him more than anything in this entire world, but I also have that like God has given me some amazing gifts, and I have a platform, and I have a, and I have a calling that I have to go do. And I think all the hours spent away from each other are ex obviously painful and challenging at time, but there's there, there, 
it's not, it wouldn't be as bad as if I was sacrificing these gifts and sacrificing this short window of opportunity that I have to do what I've been called to do. So he understands it. Um, he, he understands what MMA is. You know, he understands, he watches wrestling and he, even when he sees wrestling or he sees MMA, he calls it MMA and he understands what's going on. And he understands that he can't hit his, his friends. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're making sure we work all that, work on all that stuff. And maybe he'll be a fighter someday. We'll see. For now, anyway, he can't hit his friends. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, uh, Mike. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, looking from the outside in, it, it seems like the most challenging part of this is being in limbo. And and I know you mentioned possibly fighting in June or July. Have you spoken with training partners and coaches uh, for some kind of uh, potential start date and when you could start working with these guys? Yes. Yeah, so I, I know Florida is lifting the ban. Um, and, 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 and our guys haven't really been, they haven't, they've been training outside or, or, um, you know, on the, actually not on the beach, but on, who knows, like parks and, and stuff yeah. that is open and it's not illegal or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the word I've gotten is now that is, you know, almost May 1st. I know, I know, uh, Florida is starting to open up and, uh, we're going to start being able, to, being able to get small groups of guys together at the gym and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been speaking with my manager almost daily because he's obviously got UFC guy. I mean, he had he had two or three guys who were supposed to be on the what was it April 18th card back in the day, right. uh, which I was extremely disappointed at. Everybody, I feel like the whole mixed martial arts world had to be world had to be so disappointed at that because it was kind of that little bit of normalcy that we were finally going to get. Right. Um, and so I've been speaking to my manager daily, trying to figure out my fight schedule plus what we're hearing, you know, what we're hearing from Bellator because. Um, I'm under the same management as Ryan Bader and uh, Darian Caldwell. Those guys both had fights in May that were scheduled and have since been postponed. So we're trying to figure out where, where, when, and and how we can start training, where, when, and how these fights are actually going to happen. And it's just so important right now to realize that luckily um, if, uh, if you got a pair of running shoes, you can go out there and, and stay in shape as much as possible. So anytime that I've seen you in passing over the years, whether it's with Dominic Cruz or just at a live event, I can't help but bring up your fighting future and obviously my appetite uh, to see you join us and be a part of the UFC. And the rematch with Benson Henderson reportedly is the last fight on your contract. Would you, in theory, at that point, want to test the free agent market that you really haven't done full throttle since 2010 when you signed with Bellator? You know, there's. I think there's definitely aspects of that that always – Testing free agency, there's there's aspects of it that always are enticing and it's exciting and it's a it's a buzz it's a buzz filled season of your life, um, whether it's a day, whether it's six months, you know. Um, but you know, I I have always been operating on, under the assumption that I would be getting a a offer from Bellator that we would uh, um, that we that we would be accepting. We you know have since said that we we expect a certain you know contract arrangement and. Uh, it's at balls in Bellator's court. And, uh, but at, at this point it looks as though I'm going to fight out this last fight and I'm going to be testing for agency. Now that gets me extremely excited. Um, it gets me extremely excited to be, um, just for the future of, of what may happen. Now, with all that said, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be just as happy, uh, signing another contract with Bellator or even finishing my career with Bellator. But, um, obviously there's a, a plethora of organizations out there. Now there is a ton of huge math matchups out there. And, uh, you know, I've been to all of the events. I've been to all of the all of the major organization events. I'm a fan of mixed martial arts. I'm a fan of, of the fighting spirit of all these guys because I know what they go through because I know I've been doing it for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, I uh, we, we shall see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. 
Very interesting to say the least. You know, I always fancied Ryan Bader, a mixed martial arts champion and a major promotion. Didn't happen for him in the UFC, but obviously he's gone on to realize greatness in more than one division. I guess for a guy like you, it's a little bit different, though, because you've already amassed Hall of Fame credentials outside the UFC. So I guess I asked this question with all the respect befitting a Hall of Fame martial artist, but would you be satisfied, feet up in retirement, if you didn't scratch that UFC itch, or at the very least have some of those fights and matchups that I know you've fantasized about at times over the years? Yeah, I mean, you can't... uh... You know, you can't be a fighter and not look at every single guy in that in that top ten. Look at every single guy, every single guy. Even even if even if you know that they are the flavor of the week, you still would think, man, I wish I could step into the cage with that dude. Right. You know, um, and you see it so much these days. Guys who guys who haven't necessarily been perennial top tens for any sig- sig- substantial amount of time, all of a sudden become a flash in the pan, and they're a huge name for a second. Um, and this sport is is very much. Um, entertainment and very much uh athletics and i think for me i've always looked at it like athletics and i'm you know i think i i put on phenomenal shows when i step into the cage win lose or draw i've met, had some had some losses that were still probably more entertaining than if i would have won um and i've had some some interesting stuff happen inside the cage and my, my career has constantly been ups and downs and, and coming back but you know for me it's always been about stepping inside the cage and, and and outperforming my previous self and and breaking the chains of of that that small guy from that small town who was taught to do small things and I've I've continued to build on the uh, you know the the experience and the and the and the gifts that I've been given and I have I've gone through I think different little plateaus in my career where you know at there's I can't I'm not gonna lie and say there's not a day that goes by sometimes that where I'm just wish I could scratch that itch, but then also you look at it, there's so many different pieces of the puzzle um, that you guys, you guys know more than even the fans that are listening right now, you know, both as a, as a fighter, as, as well as a guy who's intertwined in the sport and has these constant, constant conversations with, with fighters at times. Uh, So from a competition standpoint, yeah, from the, from the basis of the perception of the media and the analysts and the guys who, who say, Hey, these guys are the top top guys in the world and this guy may never be if he doesn't fight x y and z but those those x y and z's those guys are changing every single year um you know just two years ago whenever i signed my last deal with bellator the landscape looked a lot different now here we are 22 months later and the landscape has changed so much more and guys all those guys who were up there are still up there but there's new guys that are coming in and and the age of all these guys and the and how long these guys are having these tenures inside of inside of mixed martial arts is getting longer and longer um and the stakes are getting higher and higher and bigger and bigger bigger and you look at what bellator is doing bellator is growing like crazy you know we just did a, a huge press conference which coincidentally was march 8th right in the middle of the epicenter of where the coronavirus is right now which is crazy uh and there was guys from all corners of the globe there and um networks all over the world so it's it's uh i guess the 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 short answer to your question is i have always just fought for the competition and it's and and also uh taking care of my family so trying to navigate both of those and weigh the pros and cons and look at the uh the pie chart the metaphoric pie chart if you will has always been a a a tough thing to do and uh but i always feel like i've made the right decisions and currently right now I feel like I'm making the right decision where I'm at. And I know you spent six or seven years now probably hearing from UFC fans constantly who love 
and think there are so many favorable matchups for you in that top 10. So uh, I know you got a lot of respect for that noise. And I think for a lot of us who know you as a human being, we just want you to have every spotlight and every platform possible to see what Mm -hmm. you can do with it, right? So I might feel shortchanged as an MMA fan if I never get to see Khabib Tony and I never get to see, you know, Gaethje Chandler under a UFC banner. And that might just be something as a UFC fan that I got to deal with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't always get what you want in life. Exactly. Exactly. But uh but but i would definitely never say never i mean man yeah. first of all you bring up gates you that that fight that fight as a as a guy who man i just want i'd, I'd love to be able to man me and eddie slugged it out for 50 minutes inside the cage man justin gates you if i were justin gates you would be something i would love to do that's that's that is the that, i think that's the fight that that i think it's the Bigger than winning any title, big, bigger than winning any belt, even if he wasn't any kind of champion, man. That fight where I could say, well, this is who I am. Let's draw a line in the sand. I'm going to go down and bite down on those mouthpiece and show everybody who I am, right? That's that's the fight. And, and uh, you know, he got he got that fight when he first came into the UFC. His his first fight, he got Michael Johnson, top 10 opponent. And then he's been, boom, going, going, going. Um, but, man, that's that's an ex- exciting fight. But there's there's fights in Bellator. That Patricio fight I want to get back. This fight against Benson Henderson. I, I keep saying that Benson Henderson is not the most talented guy in the lightweight division uh, anymore. But he was a dominant champion for a while, and he is hard. He's hard to he's hard to beat. He's hard to he's hard to have a good performance against. So I don't know if you call right. that skill or if you call that just mannerisms and 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 just the way that he is and the way that he moves and how durable he is. Uh, but man, oh man, yeah, that Justin Gaethje fight. I'm a fan, Ooh. you know, it, but that's that's the thing about about me, about mixed martial arts is because I, I just did a, a an interview with with the pastor at my church and he was talking about, man, how do you guys how do you guys beat each other up? And then you hug each other after and you're like and you and you just got to he doesn't understand because he's never done it. But the amount of respect that you have for somebody when you step into the cage, you you, you get done with the fight and you say, man. I'm a fan of of your heart, of your soul, of your desire, of you as a human being putting yourself out there and going out there and be a, being a metaphoric warrior uh, for everything that it is you that it is you that you believe in. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing him up because I freaking want to fight him now. <laughs> I know you do, uh, Ken. Flo, I know wants to jump in here, and we do want to get your thoughts on Ferguson and Gaethje at some point. But I got to get to Dominic Cruz because I know you have a special bond with that man. And I know you're probably not the least bit surprised to see him competing at his championship setting here in a couple weeks. I guess I would ask you your thoughts on his return and what you think might be his biggest challenge in this Cejudo fight in particular. Yeah, you know, I saw your I saw your post. Uh, I think it was this morning talking about Dominic and how you've shared shared the booth with him for so so many hours and you sp- spent so many trips. And man, for for me and Dominic, we trained together for so long. And I, I moved from Las Vegas to San Diego to literally just be around him, be, be around the championship aura that is, that is Dominic Cruz. And for a guy who has had so many, you know, strings of bad luck and injuries and, and those kinds of things, man, you, you just want to see him be successful uh, in, in a comeback like this. And the, I think the good thing is you see how hard he's training. You know his mind is sharp. You know he, he doesn't believe in ring rust, thank God, whether that is a real thing or that is just in his mind. But, you know, ignorance is bliss at times. Uh, and what you truly believe in is is the circumstances that are that are at hand. And, and I truly believe he's going to go out there and be able to put on a uh, good old-fashioned Dominic Cruz butt whooping. You know, I think Henry Cejudo – is uh, he's good everywhere. I think the one thing that surprised me about Henry Cejudo right out of the gate, he came in, he didn't just start wrestling guys. He had that good, he just had a really good 
pressure boxing style and uh, was able to put on, you know, put hands on people and make them fear the wrestling and then fear his hands and then mix it up really well. And he's going to do much of that, um, I think, against a guy like Dominic. But there's a big difference difference between laying hands on people and then swinging at people, swinging at somebody and not being able to hit them. And I think that's what Dominic brings to the table as well as uh, his cardio. And I know he has switched up his strength and conditioning routine, which I I had told him probably two years two years prior to um, you know us training together. I was like, man, you need to start lifting more weights, heavier, and and you would be very surprised how less brittle the body is. And I think I haven't been, I haven't had a you know I haven't had many injuries because I lift so many weights and put so much external force on the body. So I know he's changed up his strength and conditioning routine. He's been training with my strength and conditioning coach out in San Diego. So I'm excited to see. Dominic Cruz 2 or 3.0, whatever whatever yeah. we want to call this one. You're right in terms of your health when I was sort of breaking down your strength of schedule and just the activity over the years, man. You know, been very few years, maybe 2017, the only one in which you only were able to compete one time, you know. So mm-hmm. I give you a lot of credit for that. Uh, I got to get to some of your wrestling stuff. But before I do that, any quick thoughts on, on Ferguson and Gaethje? I mean, Eddie Alvarez and Paul Felder, a couple of elite lightweights, have both come out and said they think Gaethje wins. They love the matchup for him. Any thoughts on Tony and Justin here in a couple weeks? I, uh, you know, we just got done talking about Gaethje. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, of his style, his heart. He, he punches hard. He is relentless. He's good in the clinch. Um, and he throws those leg kicks like crazy. But, man, Tony Ferguson, without, without you know, without trying to ever bring up any kind of mental, actual mental conditions, which I know people have said, I'd be like, I, I think he's one of the most – Psycho, psychopathic guys in the in the yeah. division from a fighting standpoint, right? He just he's he just goes. I mean, the Edson Barboza fight where he was rolling underneath and grabbing, and and then he's cutting everybody up, and he's he's just absolutely a wild card. He's he's the guy at the wrestling tournament that that, that you don't want to you don't want to draw first round. He's the kid with he doesn't have the nicest shoes, and he doesn't have you're not quite ah, sure where he came right. from, but he's got a freaking heart. He's got a he's got a heart that can't be stopped. And he's unorthodox, and you feel like since he's unorthodox, you're supposed to be able to beat him because you're more talented than he is. And luckily for a guy like Justin Gaethje, I don't think Justin Gaethje cares about his talent. Talent, all he cares about is being a warrior and going out there. So, um, I would not ever bet against Tony Ferguson, especially on his what is he twelve fight win streak, thirteen right. fight win streak, whatever it is, um, and and his ability, his ability to never get tired. I think we have seen Justin after he gets rocked and get get getting hit, get hit a couple times. He does can he does have a tendency to slow down a little bit. You don't right. really see that much with uh, with Tony Ferguson. He's just too, he's too uh, he's too in it. He's too in it to uh, to get tired. So I, I would actually go um, I would go Tony Ferguson. I don't. I don't think we're going to see a finish. If we do, I think it'd be a late type of submission that Justin Gaethje just kind of gets uh, gets so tired that he ends up falling into a, a triangle or something like that. It's interesting you mentioned the wrestling bracket because a guy you wrestled at the 2009 NCAA Championships at 157 pounds, Gregor Gillespie, has told me the toughest matchup for him at 55 is Tony Ferguson because it's just uh, to a lot of things you said, you know, it's just you don't know what you're going to get. So, all right, last thing. So. Yeah. If my research is correct, you walked on as a wrestler at the University of Missouri, 100 career wins, four-time NCAA qualifier, uh, also three letters in football in high school. What was the in- extent of your high school football career? Not much. I was a uh, I was went into, I went into high school at 100 pounds and graduated at 150. Uh, we were one in nine pretty much every year, so we we didn't weren't a very good football team. Right. So I uh, 
you know, I broke my wrist my, going into my senior year. I broke my wrist and football going into my senior year, but I, uh, everybody gave me crap for not, not finishing the season in football. And I'm like, man, I got a cast on my hand. Wrestling's my real deal. You know, right. wrestling, wrestling might actually get me a scholarship and it ended up giving me a couple small scholarship offers. But like you said, I, uh, walked on the university of Missouri. So was there one moment when you were walking on uh, one match that you, that you could point to that there was just so much pressure when you were trying to accomplish that without a scholarship at the time? You know, I think uh, even, yeah, the matches weren't the problem because I wasn't really expected to, I wasn't even really expected to win. First of all, I wasn't even expected to, wasn't even expected to, to really stick around, you know. Uh, Coach, <laughs> Coach Smith knew one kid in particular on the team because he had, had him at camps and whatnot and he was he was a guy that he knew wasn't going to make it for very long and he, i was his roommate he put me with him so he figured these two guys will probably end up just uh oh, yeah. you know fizzling out whatever um coach smith our, our head coach didn't look at me for the first year didn't really talk to me for the first year i think it was you know i think it was the it was the pressure of just looking around and being like man none of these people think that i'm any good at all and i <laughs> truthfully i wasn't you know but it's like you know, you, you can only beat on that drum for so long before you start to learn. And then you can only you can only have that perseverance for so long before you look around and you think, okay, well, this guy was a state champ in California, but he likes to party too much. That's from state champ for PA, but all he's doing is chasing girls. And all I was chasing was, was wrestling. Yeah. And Tyron Woodley, uh, who was a 165-pounder, um, so I was 157, so I was smaller than he is. I was a good drill partner because I I could just wrestle. I could wrestle for hours and hours and hours. And Tyron Woodley grabbed me, took me under his wing and said, hey, listen, man, you're not that good. But I just need you to be a dummy. I need you to be two arms and two legs. And it, it didn't matter if he called me at 5 a.m. and wanted to go drill or midnight and wanted to go drill or he wanted me to go just be on a run with him and push him. I was that guy for him for like a year. And then he stuck around and coached and started to make me believe in myself a little bit more. And Ben Askren came into the picture um, as as a mentor of mine, a big brother of mine. Those two guys were like the big brothers I never had. And the uh, the coaches weren't taking a look at me. But it was it was kind of that upperclassman mentality of those upperclassmen saying, OK, well, this guy right here, out of all these guys, you know, these all these state champions, this guy right here, this Michael Chandler guy is not a state champion, but he really wants to he wants to be good. He wants to win. He wants he wants really the approval. Uh, and, and that's when I kind of really realized that I was intrinsically motivated um, but I, I was also a very good subordinate. You know, I was reading reading Jocko's new book called Leadership Strategies, and uh, he he talks about being a great leader. You have to be a great subordinate first. So it didn't matter if Coach wanted me to run through a brick wall or walk his dog or do whatever. I was going to do it, and that was the kind of mentality that I had. And uh, it was uh, you know it was some of the best five years of my life. And then took that into mixed martial arts, and here we are. Well, Michael Chandler, it's, it's an amazing legacy you put on paper, not just as a wrestler, but of course, as a mixed martial artist. And I'm sure, you know, Kobe Bryant style, you're going to put your your biggest imprint uh, in fatherhood and perhaps a lucky little boy, man, to have you at the helm. So uh, we'll be watching your every move, man, whatever it is. You know, thank you for hopping on with us today. And uh, obviously, we wish you all the best in the future, buddy. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. There he is. Thanks. Three time Bellator lightweight champion. Michael Chandler. Hopefully that future is in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I would certainly love to see it, and uh, I'd just love to see him get all the shine in the world because I have so much respect for him as human being uh, and yeah. as professional athlete. Alright, support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from the official electric razor of UFC Manscaped. Have you ever had an awkward moment where you had to grapple with someone who had like a full bush coming out of their singlet? No? Well, thankfully Manscaped has everything you need to keep your package nice and tidy. Manscaped truly is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming and their top-notch ball trimmer called the Lawnmower 3.0 
2.0 will keep you clean without nicks and cuts. Manscaped has also partnered with several top-tier mixed martial arts athletes, Max Holloway, Francis Ngannou, Brian T. City, Ortega, and many others who understand that hygiene matters and also know what it takes to be the best. Well, so does this revolutionary company, Manscaped. They just redesigned this lawnmower 3.0. Features a great ceramic blade. You've been hearing me talk about that blade for months with proprietary advanced skin safe technology. No accidents for me with this thing, and we're going on like seven months to this point. So got to get you in the game for our listeners and viewers who are men. No reason to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. We want to help you get there. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code AF today. That's 20% off with free free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code AF. Thank you, Manscaped, for supporting mixed martial artists worldwide. All right, right back to the Skype machine now as we welcome on a guy. We might as well call him a recurring guest, I think, at this point, Ken Flo. He's the UFC's 14th-ranked featherweight contender at present, also an IBJJF world, Nogi world, and European champion. One of the best grapplers in all of mixed martial arts for sure, the great Ryan Hall now joins us live from the District of Columbia, I believe. What's up, man? Not too much, John. How you doing, man? Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. It's it's good to see you. So uh, so how is the quarantine treating you there in uh, in the Northeast, my man? Well, let's see. Uh, not a whole heck of a lot going on. Uh, yeah, there's mostly that. <laughs> so 5050 Martial Arts Academy, your academy, closed until June 10th per state restrictions, I guess. So when you reopen, whenever that is, do you expect any long-lasting changes for your gym and, and maybe the rest of the jiu-jitsu world? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, predicting the future is a notoriously difficult thing. But uh, I would say that I would be shocked if there weren't, you know, if there weren't some changes, if only because people's attitudes change. You know, I, I know that personally I'm not going to be altering my lifestyle in any significant way. But, uh, you know, every every person is going to have to make that decision, that uh, that determination on their own. And I guess kind of remains to be seen, you know, what uh, what people will do, you know, what risk level they are willing to absorb and also what risk level they perceive actually exists. Right. So I think it was the first week of March, maybe 10 days before all hell broke loose with the coronavirus. It was announced that you'd be fighting uh, former title challenger Ricardo Lamas in early May. So obviously that's not happening this weekend in Oklahoma City. Uh, so any news for us in terms of when that matchup might actually go down? Uh, no, no news. Uh, nothing really uh, at the moment. Like, you know, I haven't really heard anything from, from UFC. Uh, they, nobody's really reached out. I haven't spoken to anyone. Um, I'm not terribly familiar with anyone's plans. So I guess uh, it, it'll be, it'll remain to be seen. You know, I mean, all I can say is that I, I take what I do very seriously and I try to do, I want to put my best foot forward, which means getting out, training with Kenny, training with Faraz, training with Tan Lee, bringing people around to, uh, to help prepare properly. And, uh, you know, unless and until we're able to accomplish that, it would be, uh, it would be difficult to accept a fight. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll kind of have to see what all, what all plays out. When you hear Dana White say publicly, and maybe you don't hear him say this, that essentially once we get one in, we might go live every Saturday for the rest of the year. Um, does that push up your timeline? Does that create any urgency in your mind, knowing that in all likelihood it will be an abbreviated camp, or are you not going to sort of allow that to be a circumstance for you? No, nah, that, all that stuff sounds cool, but uh, the, the reality is that, uh, you know, it's you know, things will, will kind of go as they do go. If it's, if other people would like to drink, you know, unleaded gasoline, that's, that's on them. 
Um, you know, I, I, I've never really been one to, to jump on just because people are doing it. I encourage the UFC to get back to their normal business as early as they reasonably can, and they think they can do a good job. Um, you know, their plans and my plans sometimes um, kind of interact, sometimes don't. So I guess, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see what all happens. Now, I'm, I guess I'm hoping that maybe, you know, in the fallout of all of this, there'll be some more people who might be willing to fight, at a, whereas they were not, you know, they were a little bit more hesitant prior. But uh, as far as it goes personally, if the UFC wants to put on the show every other day, I, I support them and I hope that they can accomplish whatever they want to accomplish, provided that they're doing their due diligence and doing what they need to be doing, you know, uh, in terms of safety and health consciousness and whatever all that is. Um, but uh, no, I will not be accepting fights just to do it. I'm not in a financial situation where I need that money. And uh, as a result, I will take the fights that make sense at the time they make sense. You know, Ryan, um, I think that the situation as far as training for everyone differs as far as, you know, what training partners you have available, uh, you know, your gym and its proximity to you and, and all those things, your coaches. Um, can you kind of explain a little bit of, of the challenges that you've experienced during this time and and, actu and actually having a training camp? Because I don't think a lot of people maybe at home understand what's go what goes into a training camp, especially for someone like you who invests, you know, a lot both financially and uh, energetically. Well, thanks, Kenny. I guess what I would say is that, you know, some guys and some girls that are on the roster, um, you know, they they live near, let's say, for instance, in an American top team or a TriStar, which, of course, is closed right now by law. Um, but, uh, you know, for those of us that I have my own academy in Washington, in the D.C. area, and, uh, you know, I have a number of people who I'm responsible for, people that, that work here that I need to do my best to, to take care of. And when it comes to, you know, a camp personally, I do a great deal of travel. Obviously, you know, I, we, we train. I go out to L.A. almost invariably, and oftentimes you get out here. Um, I go to TriStar, at, you know, for a couple weeks prior, um, always to work with Faraz. Um, one of my closest friends and training partners, Tom Lee, he and I are back and forth between here and New Orleans all the time. And that's to say nothing of the, like, probably dozen other people that, that are flown from various places around the USA, Canada, and sometimes the globe. Um, to help us prepare properly. And Tan, for instance, also has, uh, he was signed to fight for the title in 1FC against Martin Wynn uh, in Singapore when all of this went down. And that's been pushed back indefinitely, hopefully uh, not too far. But, um, you know, the amount of the amount of just logistics uh, that, that are behind all of this are significant. And I can say that at least sitting at home, um, I don't have people to grapple with. I don't have people to spar with right now. So it's not as if you can just call up your buddies who are also at, at a at a various you know various levels of experience, and uh, and lean on their help because they live in other parts of the country and you understand that they have other concerns and they have other things and they're responsible for their family and the people close to them. So you know I think that there are people maybe who feel like they would like to fight right now because they maybe their training situation. You know, as long as it's, uh, the people are within reach, it hasn't altered significantly. And other people may elect to fight right now because they may be in dire financial straits and need that need that money. Um, I am in neither of those boats. I'm neither in dire financial straits, nor do I have even reasonable training right now. So, um, you know, I just don't feel that it would be a responsible decision to to put myself in that spot. I, I take very seriously. I've worked hard my entire life to get to the point that I've gotten and I want to fight the absolute best in the world and I want to show up at my best and I want them to show up at their best too. Uh, Ryan, you were supposed to fight Lamas, as John mentioned. Um, obviously, that didn't go through. Do you see yourself, um, you know, getting another fight against him in the future or do you see maybe someone else stepping in, um, you know, to take that opportunity? Man, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, I wonder, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the UFC has its own concerns and other people have their own concerns. 
Um, if Ricardo needs to fight in short order, then I'm certainly not his guy. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if he decided to uh, to find himself another opponent. Um, you know, I was willing to fight out of the rankings against a guy like Ricardo because I respect him. He's very, very good, very dangerous. And regardless of whether or not there's a number next to his name, he uh, he is a very, very serious opponent and very someone that I would love to compete with. But uh, in reality, there's nothing special about him on an individual level. And I don't mean that about his skills. What I mean is what he represents is special. But there are other people who represent that challenge as well. And I just uh, would hope to have the opportunity, whether it's Ricardo, a great opponent, um, and a great fighter, or someone else in a similar situation. You know, maybe, you know, who knows? Jose Aldo is no longer fighting for the uh, 135 title. I have no idea what's going around, and he's still occupying a spot in the featherweight rankings, the arbitrary featherweight rankings that go up and down all the time. Right, right. For I no saw you drop the spot recently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, I would have I dropped me too. But, uh, <laughs> But basically, uh, yeah, the arbitrary rankings that, that are there. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Ricardo Lamas was number 10 when he fought last. Um, he, he lost a fight to another great fighter, Calvin Catter. Um, you know, there's no shame in that. That's for dang sure. Either person could have come out of there with a W. And uh, Ricardo is, is a great fighter very much. And uh, But I guess as far as I'm concerned, I just would look forward to someone at that level. Um, and... Uh, and, but at some point in the future, when all of this has calmed down a little bit and I'm able to actually get something approaching, you know, reasonable training. And, and Ryan, just in regards to the rankings, obviously you want to fight the best guys possible. You haven't been able to get those ranked guys that you wanted uh, in the past. How can this whole thing kind of be, be rectified as far as, um, I don't know, the, the ranked fighters fighting each other so they can move up the, you know, move up the ladder so they can get that championship shot. Yeah, I'm not really sure, man. I mean, I guess I was really curious what you guys think, Kenny, because, you know, obviously I want, do you feel that the UFC did, did it operate similarly when, when you were in or what's your, what was your experience like? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I felt like back in the day when you had the top guys, they all fought each other and it was, you, it was just a matter of getting the right date and it was going to happen. Um, now I feel like, you know, the business business decisions behind it and, and everything else kind of make it really complicated. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what you think about that whole, whole thing, John. Well, I feel like if Josh Emmett, who is ranked number eight in the world, gets offered Ryan Hall, who's ranked number 14, Josh Emmett should have to accept that fight within reason. And I'm not picking yeah. on Josh Emmett right sure. now, but from a managerial perspective, Ryan, I've said this to you, if not publicly, I think you present as unique and challenging a style and a fight to anybody in that top 10, right? So if I'm, if I'm representing Yair Rodriguez, I have pause, even though you're credentialed, you haven't lost since 2006. So I do think your dangers uh, sometimes work against you from a matchmaking standpoint. Yeah, I guess on the, on the one hand, I, th I appreciate this very kind of you, John. Um, but I guess on the one hand, it's it's kind of weird because you know I it's flattering that people are are hesitant to accept the fight sometimes, but at the same time, at, at a certain point, flattering doesn't move you anywhere, you know. Of and uh, and I guess um, you want. I know that I can beat any of these people. And I know that they can beat me, you know, <clears throat> I'm not afraid to, I'm not afraid to win and I'm not afraid to lose. You know, I've, I've come a long way in the martial arts, you know, journey, you know, and a lot of that honestly has been, been down to the other guy on this call, Kenny. And, you know, I've, I've been incredibly fortunate to have good friends and mentors who continue to help me grow as a, as an athlete, but also as a martial artist and as a person and kind of keep me on the right path. And, you know, it's, uh, I've come too far to waste my time on bums, man. I'm just not into it. And at the same time, I 
also have other things that I'm trying to do with my life. And if I end up getting frozen out of this, would I be incredibly disappointed? Yeah, there's, there's, I'll be lying if I said not. But I'm also not begging people to get in the ring either. It's, it's weird and, and uncomfortable. And I just want to have the opportunity to, to compete against the best. And I was looking forward to facing Ricardo because right. I definitely believe that he is of, of that caliber. But uh, maybe through at the end of all of this, who knows kind of who's available when. You know, people will be would be willing to get involved. I heard that Shane Burgos just retired and re-signed with the UFC. That's good news. I know Josh Emmett's on his last fight um, on his current contract. So I know that there are a lot of concerns, but this is uh, it is weird. And at the same time, honestly, I'd be a heck of a lot better if I got to fight twice or three times a year than if I only get to fight once every other year. It's uh, you know, I've got a lot of competitive experience, and I think that that helps me. But there is nothing like being sharp. You know, it's now it's going to be another 12 months since the last fight before I get in the ring. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to not have too much mileage physically, but, you know, time will get us all. So that's the truth. And if you don't know, Kenny Florian, uh, a member of Team Hall, longstanding corners right in the UFC. When uh, more, more the other way around, I think I'm on, I'm on Team Florian. I just get to get to like satellite it out sometimes. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. he, he corners Ryan Hall when his celebrity schedule allows. But. <laughs> well, we got to talk so about it. We also, at some point, we got to talk offline about the hierarchy of Team Florian because I always have considered myself the president of Team Florian and not. I, I would, uh, I would agree with that assessment. Okay. All right. Good. All right. All right. We got some rapid fire questions here with the great Ryan Hall on the way out. First of all, I guess I was just curious, and I, I don't know how rapid fire this is, but the best grappling match or accomplishment of your life, the most satisfied you ever felt in a competitive sense in the jiu-jitsu world, walking off the mat. Is there one match in particular? Um, I guess uh, getting to when I when when Jeff Glover and I wrestled probably for third place at ADCC in 2009 was probably the neatest one grappling wise. Um, you know, it's been weird because I haven't gotten the opportunity to go back and take a second shot at a lot of the people that beat me when I would, would have been training for four years. But Jeff, uh, I'd lost to Leo Vieira the prior day um, in, Leo, in a very, very close match that uh, the referee helped Leo out in, and then Leo helped himself out by guillotining me, which uh, definitely was that was all Leo. But uh, Anyway, uh, you know, it was uh, it was interesting because I'd never that was my first time getting to be on the same stage as the other great grapplers in the jiu jitsu world. And, you know, as a brown belt, I'd just come back from from a massive surgery. And it really, really I've been training for about eight months to get ready for that. I was able to win the ADCC trials, submitting everybody in about a minute and a half each. And, uh, you know, in, in a very, very tough division. And then to, you know, win the first round against a tough guy, Jeff Kern, who was a very, very good MMA fighter, um, particularly at the time. And then to wrestle Leo, who was one of my heroes, was really neat. And then even though I didn't get the outcome that I was looking for against Leo, um, it ended up putting me into the third place match against Jeff Glover, another one of the best guys uh, at my weight and someone that I've looked up to since I was a uh, white belt, actually. I gave him a ride to his uh, to, a, to my first jiu-jitsu tournament ever. He was just some dude in the, in the lobby who asked for a ride, and I had no idea who he was. And then uh, I just watched him go out there and slaughter everybody as a purple belt. Anyway, it was pretty neat. And uh, Jeff's, a, Jeff's a good friend and a great grappler. And it was really neat to be able to have a, uh, a competitive match with him, particularly with, uh, with so much on the line. And it was, I just, I could overcome a lot to get to that point. And uh, that was, I think that's why that meant the most to me. Cool. Really cool. So uh, in terms of your isolation circle right now, we have set the total at one and a half, over under one and a half able-bodied grapplers in your isolation circle. Uh, 0.75. So we'll take the under. I I know Ken Flo knows even deeper what that exactly means. So uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, all right. Most likely opponent for Ryan Hall in 2020. Jose Aldo. You took the words out of my mouth a little bit. Arnold Allen, Josh Emmett, Danny Gay, 
Shane Burgos, or Jeremy Stevens. And if you get it right, you get 200 bucks. Anakin Florian, LLC. You need one name out of there. Oh, Who you think is the most likely opponent this year for $200? Huh. All right. Let, let's, let's go for that law of attraction bullshit. Jose Aldo. <laughs> All right. There you go. <laughs> All right. Hey, I didn't approve this $200 to Ryan Hall. I know. I know. You always do this. I'm just going to spend it on booze and hookers. Okay. That's fine. Send us pictures. That's fine. And then, uh, (laughs) Factor Fiction, Ken Flo and his wife Clark will have a second child. (laughs) I'm going to say fact. I'm going to say fact on that. (laughs) Kids just asking. She'll have to catch me first. That's right. right. He's a a natural sprinter. Very dangerous over short distances. If he's as smart as I think he is, the answer's got to be fiction. Uh, all right, last thing. Chael Sonnen had another submission grappling event last night. What is your appetite right now or in the future uh, to grapple for money on a circuit like that? Um, uh, almost zero, to be honest. I did get to watch uh, Craig Jones uh, and Vinny Magalhaes. It's a great match. Uh, you know, Craig is fantastic. Vinny's fantastic. Holy moly, Vinny is a tough dude. <laughs> that. That looked awful, and Craig, the entry to that was was amazing, was beautiful, the finish was beautiful, and uh, yeah, that was that was a neat show. Um, I didn't really get to see the other matches, but uh, I'll be honest, man. Like I like grappling, but I just I straight up don't care. I like grappling. I know where I stand with a lot of the best guys in the world now. I don't need to find that out anymore. Um, and uh, I would love to roll with everybody. I'd love to train with everybody, but I want to fight. That's what I care about. For as long as I'm, I'm left around in martial arts, I want to fight. There's no time for anything else. All right, my man. Well, we appreciate uh, your time, as always. Wish you all the best with the gym and, and getting it reopened in, in a safe and efficient manner. Uh, Ryan Hall, number 14 in the world. And, and moving on up, all the best in your next fight and beyond, brother. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate it. I'll do my best. Thanks, Kenny. Great to see you guys. See you, there dude. he is, Ryan Hall. With us here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. And Ken Flo, you felt like the Ricardo Lamas matchup, right, did check a lot of boxes for Ryan, even though he wasn't ranked, you know, even though it maybe didn't give Ryan the opportunity to hop into that top 10. At least it's a credentialed former world title challenger uh, who spent most of his career entrenched in that top 10, if not top 5. Absolutely. And listen, he's done some great things in the sport, has a ton of experience. And for me, I feel like... You know, we forget about it, but every time you have an experience, you have a fight with someone like that at that level who um, carries all that knowledge, carries all that experience, it transfers over to you. You know, you're going to gain so much from that. You're going to see a lot more than you didn't see in the other fight. So I think it, it was a perfect fight for where Ryan was at to kind of move up the ladder. Now, ideally, it should have been someone ranked, in my opinion, but. Uh, someone who has accomplished what Lamas has accomplished, I-, I think it was a great kind of plan B. And uh, we'll see if that gets put together again. I-, I, you know, I wouldn't mind that matchup if he can get a, a higher ranked opponent. That would be great just for you know Ryan's ability to to get closer to that title shot. Uh, but either way, you know, um, I-, I like both those matchups, whether it's top fifteen or uh, you know someone like Lamas. Dan Ige, you mentioned, I think would right. be right. awesome. He's a, he's a killer right now. Has a lot right. of momentum. So yeah. I don't know if it's called dry humor or if it's just like his intelligence humor, but the kid just fucking cracks me up, man. You know, <laughs> fucking great, cracks yeah. me up. As long as he knows where he stands on Team Florian, right? Because yeah. <laughs> my presidency uh, knows no terms. So uh, I That's die right. and the mantle you, gets passed. You are the Vladimir Putin of, of the uh, Ken Flo fan club. Yeah. And if yeah. I need to get a tattoo to prove it, I'm certainly not opposed <laughs> to doing that. But we got to keep this guest train moving. Let's get to the Ray Longo minute. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The Q. 
John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Oh, the great Ray Longo now joins us live. TJ did everything in his power to put you on camera today. I know you have Skype, Ray. I mean, I'll put it in English. The fuck is going on over there? <laughs> you know, John, I tell you, that's the type of English I like. I understood that's that right, very well. I learned well. It from you. I don't know. I don't know. I'm definitely on there. We're going to figure it out this week because right, I, right. I refuse to get my hair cut until you make fun of my lettuce. Yeah. So it's, it's all over the place. Fucking romaine going everywhere. So a couple weeks ago, Ken Flo was talking about your roof needing repair, and uh, it was kind of like the Anakin Florian podcast to the rescue. Last week, we talked about your haircut, and now you got like, what, every barber in New York State reaching out? What's going on? <laughs> I mean, Kenny, this is amazing. I, I really... I hope I hope John sends you the text that I got. Uh, well, a big fan of yours was willing to come to my house and cut my hair. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But I'm not I'm not going to cut it until I'm on Skype because I know this is good right. good uh, you know humor for you, John. So I don't want to deprive you of that. Ray, well, I'm hey. just going to put this out here now. Is there anyone who wants to give uh, Longo a Ferrari? Is there anyone out there who has an extra Ferrari that they want to give Ray Longo? Right. Uh, you know, let's see what happens. I tell you, I'm liking this, Kenny. You got a lot yeah. of pull out there. I'm loving Don't this. Forget about me. Right. Well, that's because during his career, I used to give him shit for like wearing like stuff that would ever say New York. Or Kempo's always had a soft spot for New York. He loves New York City, right? And as a Boston guy, I never understood. I don't care what the clothing company is. Like, I don't. I won't. Wouldn't wear anything that said New York on it. So maybe that's why his fan base is so deep there in. Uh, in New York State, I don't know. What, what, John? John, what about Seaford, New York? Would you wear anything with that on? Your father's birthplace. I <laughs> hey, hey, I don't want to talk about my can dad I, today. All right. Can uh, I yeah, talk to you? I'm going to talk to your father about this. I don't. I don't like what I'm hearing out of you. You, you right. just thrown Long Island in the under the bus too many times. Yeah, you're right. I actually got to slow that roll a little bit, but. Uh, so, Ray, we got a couple things that we have to get to with you uh, in terms of our pound-for-pound pound tournament. But before we get there, Jacksonville, Florida, May 9th, May 13th, May 16th, who knows, maybe even May 23rd. All indications are the UFC is going to be back on May 9th. The Florida Commission is going to sanction the event, obviously, because the governor, Ron DeSantis, has deemed it essential business. And uh, as Dana White has said, ad nauseum when the UFC comes back, they're going to do so at full force. What are your thoughts on uh, potentially three shows within a week in Jacksonville coming up next week? Yeah, well, look, man, I'm, uh, I, as long as the safety's in place, I think everybody's starving, I mean, for fights, and that card looks fantastic. So, yeah, I think everybody's excited. I just hope it goes according to plan. And, uh, you know, again, I hope everybody's safe and they, they put a lot of guidelines in in enforce that'll ensure that and I, I think let's let's give it a shot and see what we got so chris weidman was actually to face jack hermanson this weekend in a main event in oklahoma city i know chris has gone public with the different fights and opponents he has accepted since being quarantined and i also know you're not the breaking news type but anything for us in terms of conversations with weidman or aljo or or raging al how soon might we see some of your higher profile guys uh get back in there well, it looks like, uh, I don't know if this is breaking news, but it looks like it could be Aljo and Sandhagen sometime in June. Right. And, uh, you know, Chris, I think they were still working last time I talked to him with Hermanson, but I think he now has trouble getting into the, uh, 
country again. So uh, Weidman's either looking at June or July. That's all I, I kind of know. I hope okay. I didn't give away too much. but. Uh, well, no, Al Jermaine on Instagram is intimating that he's going to be fighting here pretty soon. So uh, that would probably yeah, so that, put that, you that said would about be June. June, June 6th. Then. That would be the day to that. So, uh, all right, unless Ken Flo has anything on the way out, I want to get to this right now pound-for-pound tournament because basically what we did, given all of this dark space when it comes to the UFC schedule, we're trying to determine the most skilled UFC fighter right now. We have four quadrants, obviously, Anik Florian, Longo, Parker, and in your quadrant, the final two fighters to emerge into the Elite Eight are Stipe Miocic, the four-seed, and Israel Adesanya, the five seed, both guys, at least in terms of our fan vote, able to take care of Tyron Woodley and Dustin Poirier pretty convincingly. So in your mind, I know Stipe's your guy, so this might be a little bit difficult, but in your mind, in a pound-for-pound setting, if all things were equal, who do you think right now is the better pound-for-pound fighter in the long-go bracket and worthy of a final four spot? Stipe Miocic, the four seed, or the fifth-seeded Israel Adesanya? I mean, well, you know what my answer is going to be because I mean, I got to go with Luke, Mister Blue Collar, all the way, Stepe. <laughs> I think he, yeah, uh, of course. I think he's proven himself over and over again as a heavyweight champion, and I think uh, he stands for the right things, and that's where I'm putting my money behind, Mister Stepe Miocic. All right, so Stepe is going to advance to the final four, courtesy of that long go nod, and then the final thing for me, right? I've talked to Kenny and my twin brother a lot about children and quarantine and distance learning and homeschooling. So I thought we'd have a little bit of fun with this, right? Because my twin brother and I were trying to figure out, like, if you had to have one kid right now during this time, how old would you want that kid to be, right? Because, Longo, you got your own problems. Ken Flo's got his own problems. If you got a, a 12-year-old, you got a whole different set of problems, right? Your 14-year-old daughter is smoking weed trying to sneak out to see her boyfriend, right? So for me, I think I'd want a newborn because they sleep all the time, you know, because I think at every other age going up to 18, you got issues, you know. So I think for me, if I had to have one kid during the quarantine, I'm going like essentially with a newborn who's waking up every two to three hours. Ray Longo, you got one kid. Pick the age during a quarantine. What age you going? <laughs> you know what they say, John? Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. Uh, I go, uh, you know, I listen, I have my kids home right now to have uh, 23, 24, so at that age, is working out good for me. Everybody's doing great, so I'm going to go right. with exactly what I got, 23. We had Michael Chandler on earlier, and he was talking about his three-year-old son, Hap, and here I am thinking, man, my two-year-old, that's got to be the worst age. Kenny, True is what, uh, just turned two? True just turned two, yeah. It, it's been pretty easy with her. I mean, she's she's pretty easy to deal with, man. She, she's been great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's been fun. All right, well, Long goes out the other nothing's side. Nothing's going to get Michael Chandler down. I was thought, what a great guy. What an He's awesome, positive yeah. person, man. All right, well, Ray, we'll let you get out of here. We'll talk to you next Monday. It sounds like Ken Flo's two-year-old is just much better behaved uh, and well-adjusted than mine. So. <laughs> that means his wife's doing all the work. That's exactly what that means. Trust me. Right, right exactly. All right, You're not buddy. wrong. Hey, hey, sorry for the delay. Appreciate your time as always, and uh, – Hope you have a, a seamless week. No major issues there uh, in New York this week for my man Ray Longo. Okay, buddy? Uh, you guys are the best, man. Stay safe, and uh, let's go. I'm excited. I'm excited for the fights. All right, buddy. There he is, Ray Longo. Next week, of course, we'll be giving you his prediction on, on Ferguson Gaethje and the rest of this mega card that they have put together for UFC 2. 
49. All right, right now, pound for pound tournament. We are going to get it down to the final four to that end. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And the time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, time now for the main event challenge. Ian Parker joins us live from South Florida. And thanks to our listeners and viewers for the support of this right now, pound for pound tournament. This is Ken Flo's baby, about 25,000 votes across all platforms. So the fans have been the ones who have taken us from the Sweet 16 down to our final eight. So I'm going to share the voting results here with Ken Flo and with IP, and we'll get your thoughts, and then we will move forward with details on how we're going to determine our right now pound for pound king so uh we will start in the anna quadrant where johnny bones took 70 percent of the vote against francis Ngannou, so he moved on as did connor mcgregor 71 percent of the vote against alexander volkanovsky the eighth seed moving down into the longo bracket this one surprised me a little bit stipe miacic 81.5 percent of the popular vote over tyron woodley who got 18 and a half percent of the vote so stipe moves on as does israel adesanya style benner getting 85 percent of the vote that was almost the highest total in round one. Uh, so Stipe and Stylebender are in the Elite Eight out of the Longo bracket. And as you just heard from Ray, he has moved Stipe into the Final Four. We move across the bracket uh, into the Florian Quadrant, Khabib versus Dominic Reyes. And this was the biggest landslide of round one. Khabib taking 86.2% of the vote. So he moves on, as does Tony Ferguson. I thought Kamara Usman, the seven seed, versus Tony Ferguson, the 10 seed, was the most competitive round one matchup. 73.8% of wow. the popular vote to Tony Ferguson. So he moves in to an Elite Eight matchup with Khabib Nurmagomedov. You just got to love it. I mean, we didn't even do it on purpose, right? That's just the way it went down. And then in the Parker Quadrant, Henry Cejudo over Robert Whitaker by the narrowest of margins. This was the closest round one matchup. Cejudo getting 50.5% of the vote as the three seed, 49.5% of the vote for Robert Whitaker, who is now out as the 14 seed. And then Daniel Cormier with relative ease, 70% of the vote against Max Blessed Holloway. So, Flo, we'll start with you. Any major surprises in the round of 16 before we move forward? I mean, you know, I picked Tony to, to beat Usman. I, I, I figured that most people would actually go with Usman. I, I really did, uh, just based on his consistency in that welterweight division and uh, the fact that he is somewhat similar to a Habib Nurmagomedov. But, um, yeah, so that that's kind of the one that probably surprised me the most. Right, because Ken Flo made his case for Tony Ferguson. I think you swayed popular opinion. You know, <laughs> see... Commentators are not supposed to do that, but Canflo fueling uh, the public vote there likely. Uh, Ian, I mentioned Stipe and Woodley. I expected that to be a little bit tighter. I think that's a close fight in a pound-for-pound pound setting. Uh, anything jump off the, uh, the, the bracket for you in round one, my man? I have to take all the blame for Whitaker losing by that margin. I'm too quick to like all of our uh, posts from Cody that I accidentally fucking clicked on Henry instead of Whitaker. And I picked Whitaker last week, so I think that was actually my fault. And when I tried to refresh the screen and go back, the answer was no. I asked Cody, hey, can we go back and change it? He said no. So, uh, Bobby <laughs> Knuckles, I apologize by you losing by that margin. It is literally my fucking fault. But, uh, whoa. Ho! Oh. How about yeah. that? Well, I'm actually Woo. glad, as much as I love Robert Whitaker, truly one of the classiest guys in the MMA space, I'm glad Cejudo's still in. 
because yeah, it could yeah, be yeah. more relevant right now fighting defending his title on May 9th. So uh, I think it works out that Cejudo moves forward. The question is, will Ian Parker move him forward? Because this is what we're doing in the nature of time. So essentially, we were prepared to drag this thing out if the UFC wasn't able to resume its schedule. But next week is a pay-per-view week. So Ian and Kenny are probably going to be giving you 10 predictions. So we need to determine who is the right now pound-for-pound king by this time next Monday. So to that end, we're going to fast-forward this thing to the final four, and then we're going to allow fans to vote in the final four. Then on Friday, go to Anna Florian Pod on Instagram. We'll do an IG Live on Friday with the Duck and maybe Ken Flo. We'll figure it out. Uh, but basically on Friday, you'll know the championship matchup and ultimately who the champion is on Monday. But it means that for you guys in your quadrants, we need you to determine who goes to the final four. So, uh, Ken Flo, it's crazy that it went down this way, but it's Khabib Nurmagomedov, the two seed, versus Tony Ferguson, the 10 seed. You kind of take the pound for pound part of the conversation out because these guys are both lightweights right now. So you're basically going to give the masses today what would have been your UFC 249 main event prediction. So no pressure, 2020, no pressure, no pressure exactly. <laughs> Tony Ferguson oh, fought Khabib Nurmagomedov as they were supposed to on April 18th. Who's the better man, Flo? Well, this is just not realistic. When, when would these guys ever fight each other? I mean, we've right. been trying to uh, yeah. put this damn right. thing together. There's no way it's going to happen. There's no way. Um, you know, it's great the way it turned out. Uh, I definitely had uh, Habib Tony on my side a- as well. Um, you know, this is one of these fights where I kind of go back and forth. Uh, for me, I, I think the-, the the thing that separates Habib, let's say, from the Usman uh, matchup was the fact that Habib's submission skills, I think, are superior to that of, of Kamaru Usman. I-, I don't see Habib really getting caught with something crazy. If there's someone who could do it in that division, perhaps it's someone like Tony Ferguson. I do not think it would be an easy win for Habib Nurmagomedov. I think this would be an absolute war over the course of 25 minutes with uh, Habib Nurmagomedov just getting the nod. I just don't see him making a whole lot of mistakes out there. And Tony Ferguson thrives when he gets you in into these brawling situations and, um, you know, people tend to panic and make mistakes. I don't see Habib making too many of those mistakes. Um, I I see his consistency and his undefeated streak just being a little bit too strong. He has the experience to back it up. Um, Habib Nurmagomedov wins that one by decision, but man, I want to see that fight. Just make the fight. No, just make the fight. September or October. Yeah. Unless Justin Gaethje messes with everybody. In the best sure. of ways, Justin, we love you. All right, so Habib Nurmagomedov, the two seed, will represent the Florian bracket in the final four of our right now pound-for-pound tournament. The question is, who will he meet in the final four? Ian, will it be Henry Cejudo or Daniel Cormier? Pretty compelling matchup here, especially in a pound-for-pound situation. Who do you give the final four nod to, the messenger Henry Cejudo or DC? Uh uh-huh. Yeah, this is this is hard because I think Cejudo's cardio, even though DC has been able to go five rounds all the time, the, the speed level of Cejudo throws me off. And, you know, in a, in a heavyweight, light heavyweight division, guys don't shoot in wrestle-wise the way they do in the lighter weights. I just have a hard time, though, seeing Cejudo be able to handle DC pressing him against the cage and really controlling that clinch. And, you know, for, for me... I, Boxing-wise, I think DC has the better hands also in that situation. It, this, this, is, this is tough. Um, you know, maybe that was karma for laughing at Kenny for having to pick Habib versus Tony because even though this is not really going to happen, this is hard. Um, I'm going to lean towards DC in this situation. I do think that he'll be able to neutralize the speed by pushing Henry against the cage. 
Uh, and Kenny doesn't have any good impressions to get it maybe between these two guys right now. So I'm going to go with Cormier in this situation. I like DC. I, like I said, I think the clinch game is just will be too much for Henry. And I'm trying to pretend like they're both. I, I love hey, hey, just, yeah. I love I love DC as well, but you you do know that Cejudo is an Olympic gold medalist in wrestling, right? Like he he wrestled before. When he's seen the clinch before, you know that, yeah, right? Yeah, but you, I would also think someone like yourself would know there's a big difference between wrestling and MMA wrestling. And when guys are able to keep Henry against the cage, that kind of changes that a little bit. You know, Ken, Henry's wrestling when he shoots that outside single and brings you down and goes into the side. I think it's where he really is able to utilize that wrestling the most, but. Guys, you know, I really don't like the way this conversation went. I should have stopped like three minutes ago, but I'm choosing DC. Fuck you, Kenny. I love you, though, but it's okay. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yeah, you threw me off. You threw me off. Throw him out of you. Yeah, you hear that? Right. Is, that, is that Ray calling? Hold on. Yeah. Fuck. It's like, you know, you know when uh, Henry and DC are engaging in the clinchy and that they both weigh 135 pounds for this exercise, right? You know. Actually, in my brain, they both are 265 that's fine. pounds. No, that's fine. So that's All right. A, so, you know, so Daniel Cormier. Will face Khabib Nurmagomedov in the final four. And again, AnnaFlorianPodcast.com or YouTube or AnnaFlorianPod on social media. Any number of ways you can vote on who should be in the championship matchup. And then on the other side, we'll go to the Anna Quadrant. So my matchup in the eight, the number one seed, John Jones, against ninth seeded Conor McGregor. And you know, you know how much I appreciate finishing ability, particularly in the UFC. You know, Conor McGregor has an outstanding finishing rate in the UFC. Uh, I went back and forth on this all day because I wanted to find a way to push Connor into the final four, uh, but I just couldn't envision him finishing John Jones. So of all the reasons why you could make a case for John Jones in that matchup, you know, I felt like over 25 minutes he wasn't going to be finished. And, and certainly I saw grappling and wrestling and submission advantages. And also, I think in terms of the activity and the championship minutes, you know, I think that's something that could be in John Jones's favor. So, uh, I didn't expect to have to do this exercise, but I will give John Jones the nod into the Final Four, and he'll take on Stipe on the other side of the bracket. So, Anik Florian Pot on Instagram on Friday, and we will have some more conversation and ultimately determine the championship matchup. All right, but those are fake fun fights. I want to get to some real fights now. It's UFC 247, Ferguson versus Gaethje. Kenny and I talked about this off the top of the show, Ian. I don't want to be... Uh, I don't want to overstate the depth of this card, right? But this is a mega card, Ian, of the highest order, right? I mean, Ryan Spann and Sam Malvey is the first fight of the night. And I'm not sure if Ryan Spann is ranked right now at light heavyweight, but he is certainly a guy that people fancy as a future light heavyweight contender. Nico Price and Vicente Luque are fighting on the internet in a rematch that could be on pay-per-view. So you've seen the 12-fight card, Ian Parker. What do you like about it? Top to bottom, it's so strong. You know, it's interesting, and this is something I think, John, you mentioned a few weeks ago. When when Dana's going to have to play catch-up, this is kind of what you're going to get. And I think this is going to – a lot of these guys want to fight, but I think in regards to getting their names out there and their brand, it may hurt them a little bit. But guys like Bryce Mitchell, who's been a huge fan favorite also, he's buried somewhere in that card. Uh, right. Mich you know, Michelle Waterson and Carlos Barza is out there. And then you got Cowboy and, and Showtime don't even make the pay-per-view. This is – Crazy, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it your boy Greg Hardy? Is he kicking off the pay-per-view with uh, El Castro? Is that where they're going with this? Of course they're going with it that way because Greg Hardy should be on pay-per-view over all these other fucking guys because he's obviously earned it. But, you know, long story short, this is just insane. This is going to be the first time that everyone's going to have to really tune in, especially on the East Coast from, like, what, 
4 p.m. all the way until the wee hours. So yeah. I love this car. This is going to be so exciting. Bathroom breaks is going to be the only thing allowed. And uh, I'm going to be texting Kenny this all night. So that's all that really matters. Well, I think a year ago it was easy to say what Greg Hardy hadn't earned, you know, but sure. no fighter competed more in 2019 oh, than he did. Balls, I'm just saying, yeah. though, I know, but nobody answered the call more than Greg Hardy, who obviously has been featured in, in prominent slots before. But you can argue Cerrone Pettis potentially in the featured prelim on ESPN. That might be the more desirous slot. Kenny, we obviously talked about the two title fights off the top of the show. Just going to throw a few others your way here right now and, of course, get in the full preview next week. But how about Fabricio Verdum, a name we haven't talked about at all, uh, stepping up against Alexi Olenek at heavyweight. You got Esparza and Michelle Waterson, part of the prelims as well. Uriah Hall and Jacare Souza were going to fight April 18th. So that was one of the fights that held together, uh, as did Hardy DeCastro and Stevens Cater, and then the featured uh, bout on pay-per-view, Francis Ngannou and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. So a lot of fighters who have been matched up for several weeks with their opposition, and then another guy in Verdum just stepping up. Always excited to see him on the card. Any of those matchups pique your interest, Kent Flo? You know, the, the Esparza-Waterson uh, matchup is very interesting. I, I think Esparza matches up really well against Michelle because of her wrestling skills. Curious to see how Waterson does stopping those takedowns. But if she's able to keep it on the feet, I, I see her having the advantage there. That's an interesting fight. Um, I think the Alexi Olenek fight for Fabricio Verdum um, is good matchmaking. I do think that Verdum definitely has the advantage as the grappler. I think that's the one guy in the heavyweight division that right. Olenek probably doesn't want to fight uh, because of Verdum's experience there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how Verdum comes back from this. This is a big, big opportunity for him. I know he's been wanting to get back in there and test himself. Uh, it's a good fight for him. But Olenek, as we know, you can never count him out. He's dangerous even if you mount him. Uh, so crazy strong guy. And that card is just ridiculous, man. Uh, Rosen strike and Gano. Is there any way that that fight goes the distance? I, I don't know. If it does, I think we will in for a classic. I think what we're going to have to do next week, some of them will be super quick, like maybe Bryce Mitchell and Charles Rosa on UFC Fight Pass, but we're going to get 12 predictions from you guys next week. So we're going to pick the whole Woo! card. Sorry to break that upon you right now on live radio, but that's just the way it's going Jeez. down. 12 predictions as we get back to what we do best here on the Anakin Florian Podcast next week on the Main Event Challenge. Ian Parker MMA on social media. Gracious for your time today, sir. We'll talk to you. The real deal returns next week. So do your homework, my man. Oh, bro, I'm, I'm so pumped. There's a few of these out there that I'm a little questioning on that uh, on those odds. So these uh, these bookies better be ready because I'm about to fucking rob them. We will talk about all of these <laughs> fights from a vetting perspective next week. But we got to bounce on out of here. Thank you to our guests today, Michael Chandler, Ryan Hall, Ray Longo, Ian Parker. Don't forget, AnnaCloreanPodcast.com is now live. There is merchandise. There is a bracket to be filled out. And we hope you will join us on Friday live on Instagram as we determine the championship matchup for the inaugural Right now, pound for pound tournament. This has been a TJ DeSantis production. Cody Merrill on the video side for people. I'm John Hannick. Thank you all for listening, for watching. We'll talk to you next Monday, which will be fucking fight week. Thank God. Until then, don't text and drive. If you're driving anywhere, you'll live. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line.
Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.